Welcome to the Open Adoption Project. This is episode 84. We are the Nelsons. I'm Lynette. And I'm Sean. In today's episode, we have a wonderful conversation with two amazing women. Yes, today we get to talk to Stephanie Doyle and Amy Condy, and they are both incredible. So we should probably explain just because it feels complicated at first, but as you listen, it it's not, I promise. It's, uh, it's awesome. I love yes. it. Yes. So, Stephanie and Amy are both mothers, and they share some of their kids, and they have, like, this big, like, open adoption-esque kind of family, but their family started off being united like this through kinship, foster care, and then adoption, and they'll tell the story more, but... They talk about how it started off that they did not like each other. And as you'll listen to them, you can tell that they have an immense love for each other and immense respect. And it's really, really powerful to hear how their relationship blossomed over time and has grown. I wasn't here personally at our house when we recorded this episode. Lynette was here with them in our home. But I can tell, like... I don't even have to see them to know how close they are and like how good of friends they are. Like the connection that they have with each other is so, so strong. And you'll hear that. And yet like sincere and palpable. Yeah. Yeah. It's really powerful. They're just, they capitulate those goals that I have of being able to have those strong connections with our family, right? With our kids, biological family who have become part of our family. Yeah. Well, let's tell a little bit about them and let's jump into the recording. Yeah. So just really quick, since this is a longer episode, but it's a really, really good one. So definitely stick them to the end. Yes. Yes. Stay. But Stephanie is a roller derby regional champion and Amy is a burning man enthusiast with the distinction that she added that she is into like the regional Burning Man. And they are both really fun. Really just like automatically I felt like this connection to them and really liked them. They're very likable and really vulnerable. They talk about some really hard feelings and hard experiences. But they do it in a way that's so positive and just really helpful. So we're really excited for you to listen to this conversation with Lynette, Amy, and Stephanie. We're here on the podcast with Stephanie and Amy. Thank you so much, both of you, for being here. It's so exciting to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So to start off, can you tell us about yourselves? So my name is Amy Condi. Um, I am an adoptive parent. I have adopted three children through the foster care system. My first two children came to me when they were six and three, and I was 23. Um, My youngest came to me when he was 13 months old, and uh, they are now 27, 25, and 16. So, um, and this is my older kid's mom. My name is Stephanie Doyle, and I am a birth mother, and my kids went into the foster care system in March of 2001, 
Um, they were removed from my care due to me um, being addicted to methamphetamines and just not caring for my kids properly. Um, how, I guess, Amy and I are related, I guess, <laughs> is, you can't see my quotes here, <laughs> um, is she was married to my ex-husband, my oldest boy's father, um, at the time of the removal of my kids. So her and my ex-husband wanted to get custody of my oldest boy. And that's how they got involved in the process of um, foster care and adoption. Yeah. So, yeah, um, <clears throat> our daughter, our shared daughter, um, she is not, so she's not biologically related um, but she was biologically related to a biological relation. That's how we're kinship family. And so um, I was a step parent and a foster parent for two of Stephanie's kids, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And awesome. Yeah. yeah. So those, and that we like call those our children mm -hmm. because they are our children. Yeah. But then like I have my son that I think is separate. Mm -hmm. And then she has her son that's a little separate, mm -hmm. but then, yeah. Those two boys, like they kind of think of themselves as brothers because mm -hmm. they, do, yeah. they share siblings. Yeah, so, they're all family. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just a big. It's just a big family, and yeah. I don't. We didn't start that way. Mm -hmm. um, when yeah, when Stephanie was going through her drug addiction, first of all, she was a different person, and drugs really like affect people in in ways that change their personalities, yeah. but. Also just, yeah, I think it's interesting about emotional maturity. Um, we were talking about that earlier and the idea that we were both 23 years old and we we're trying to manage the lives of these like little people. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I think we both felt like we were really old. Mm -hmm. I, there's no way yeah. now, 20 years later, 20, no. yeah, 22, oh my Is it 22, 22 yeah. years later. Oh my gosh. That, yeah, that we would, like, there's no way that I would imagine that I would be sitting next to this person and yeah. being like, yeah, she's, she's great. She's amazing. I, know. So, I, <laughs> I, I don't, we didn't start out that way. We started out very hostile, very mm -hmm. much like I was the baby stealer and she was the drug addict. Mm -hmm. She was my ex-husband's wife. I mean, that's, that's a whole. Yeah, that's a tricky dynamic. Yeah, yeah. it's just a whole different dynamic. And, yeah. and I was also on drugs and. Um, so I'm not thinking clearly. I'm also very selfish as, as a person because to me, all my kids needed was me. And even though I couldn't care for them properly and I wasn't coherent most of the time because I was on drugs, the selfish part of me was like, my kids don't belong to anybody else and don't need to be anywhere else. And so it was, it was a dynamic that, that she didn't like me and I didn't like her and it's kind of how it was at first. Yeah. That went on for a long time, mm -hmm. like maybe close to a year of oh, the wow. kids being in care yeah. of, and then, so we had our, um, what's our why, what, permanency? permanency hearing. Yes. We had our permanency <laughs> hearing, um, that basically is just to decide if what, if the children should be adopted or whatever. And, at that hearing, I felt like I had like won this great battle. You know, we were in this war for what's in the best interest of the children. And I was like super excited because now these children were going to 
probably likely come to me. That was the plan. That was all those things. And, and Tyler, like our oldest was placed with us at that time. Per- like that was permanent custody at that time too. And so, but like Stephanie left that exact same hearing with a totally different understanding. Yeah. I, again, didn't understand what was going on throughout the process, mainly because I was on drugs the majority of the time. Uh, but permanency to me, what I thought it was is DCFS said, we're no longer offering services to you. And I was like, great, I don't have to jump through your hoops. All I have to do. And I was in jail at the time. So this is like kind of where my thinking was. All I have to do is get out of jail, get a job, get a house. And I, my kids can come home. And I was just completely naive about the situation and had no idea what was actually happening and what permanency really meant at that time. So. Yeah. Like Stephanie disappeared for some time. Mm-hmm. It was really, there was a lot of disruption within mm-hmm. that, that time when we were there, but I felt like, so, but the difference was that I also started to change after permanency. So between permanency hearing and our termination trial, there was like three months mm-hmm. of time. And in that time I went through this drastic emotional shift within me that basically I, I became a mother. And I, I, for people who've gone through foster care, I think that they understand this idea, but for people who don't understand, I just imagine that like children that you barely know are just brought to your home and then they're like, Hey, love them. But like, not so much that you can't give them back when it's time. You're just holding on to them temporarily. I felt like a babysitter, like a 24 seven babysitter that, and, and at any time, all she had to do was get those things yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we would like, I would, I would no longer be a mother to these children, especially for Lexi, because I had no ties to her. Otherwise she could have just completely disappeared. And so that's our daughter's name. I yeah. don't know if I said that anyway. Um, so, but I became this mother and it was a different, a whole different thing. I've never been a mom before. Mm-hmm. These were kids just hello, instant family. And so it was, I developed this different feeling of empathy and compassion because I was also not a perfect mother, believe it or not, at 23. (laughs) It's weird. I had like all of these like flaws, but I had to hide those from everyone, right? Couldn't let anybody know that I was struggling or having a hard time with these kids because then they'd think I wouldn't, I wasn't capable and they'd take them away. That's a really, it's a challenging dynamic within the foster care system of not being able to admit when like things are wrong, not being able to say I'm struggling and I really was struggling, but not again, not like to the level that they needed to be removed, Mm -hmm. just that I needed, I felt ashamed of that. But Mm -hmm. when it came time for our trial, I really had a different vibe about Stephanie and as a foster parent, you get to sit through the whole, the whole trial. And this is my husband's ex-wife and what a, what a betraying, awful feeling that only as our ex-husband now has developed a new wife. (laughs) Do I really fully understand that that would have been so terrible, but like watching her have to testify and have to try to make something out of really nothing. There was like very little to have a defense about and to be testified against from 
so many different police officers because I've been arrested so many times. There's probably an officer from like every city in the county there. And um, my daughter's dad saying a bunch of awful, untrue stuff. Um, you know, the majority of, of what had happened was true that the DCFS brought and stuff like that. But just, it was just, you're under every one of your flaws is under a microscope and you are just sitting in a courtroom full of people with person after person saying how awful of a person you are and how awful of a mother you are, which is something that should just be like, I guess, like as a woman, I felt like the one thing that should be natural to me to be a good mom and a protective mom and a caring mom, I failed that. And I think that's when things started to shift for me um, with Amy as well was during that trial. Um, I think I started to realize listening to all of that negative stuff about me that, that I was being selfish and I couldn't offer my kids what they needed. It took, it took a couple of days. I'm so sorry to interrupt, yeah. but like the first day, like when oh, yeah. I, when Super so defiant. <laughs> I had to testify and in the middle of my testimony, like they asked me how I felt about my daughter who wasn't my daughter at that time, but it doesn't matter. Um, asked me how I felt about it. And I said that I felt really like she was completing our family and Stephanie could not tolerate that mm -hmm. at all. Slams her hands down on the table, disrupts the whole courtroom, gets in huge trouble. Like while I'm mm -hmm. on the witness stand, it yeah. was just so we didn't like each other. <laughs> not a smart thing to do in court either. Just, just not. <laughs> but so, yeah, because we had to go for one day and then date like, weeks pass and you come in for another day of trial. Yeah. It was so, yeah. it was just yeah. such a weird thing. It was awful. But I think we both had these shifts because I spent the first day feeling sorry for Stephanie and like actually like calculating through my life. If I had done just this one little choice different yeah, or anything, I could have easily ended up in the same place with four kids by the time I was 21 years old. Mm -hmm. And why did you get it? Why did you develop a meth problem? That's such a surprise and a shock. Yeah. That's so easy. <laughs> I know. It's it such an easy so, life you had. Yeah. <laughs> well, and having those four kids under the age of four and then there, my daughter's dad left and I was working at a bar and the manager of the bar who was like a 40 something year old man said, Hey, try this. And instantly I was addicted. So it's pretty easy. And I, I had, experienced some things that I was like, all oh, I would, if I'd have gotten caught doing that, or if this had, that we weren't that far apart. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, that like love is separate from being able to parent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. That was my first experience of ex like distinguishing between those two things because she had like a picture of the kids that said like hope on it. Mm -hmm. And there was like no hope here. But how do you give up hope as a mother? How do you let that go? Yeah. And and finally seeing her in a mother, we are the same. Yeah. And yeah, that also realizing that this tragic thing is happening. A family is being ripped apart forever. And I had no idea what that was even. I had no concept of what that could even feel like. But that's what was happening right there in my family. Mm -hmm. I had to go home and tell my kids 
like a judge decided that your mom's not your mom anymore and not both of them either. Like that was a really confusing piece because she's still Tyler's legal mother that never had to change because yeah, it just didn't. Mm -hmm. But because now this person, I'm going to be on this kid's birth certificate, but not this kid's birth certificate. Mm -hmm. And explaining all of that was just, it was tragic and I didn't know what to do with it, but that like the tragedy was happening in front of me to this woman that I felt a lot of empathy for suddenly. I, mm-hmm. I only, I have to call it like a divine intervention. Mm-hmm. I don't, right. I mean, just, I didn't have that capability mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, just it came. Grew. It came. Yeah. yeah, it came later. Yeah. Well, no, what like, so she comes we end court. You lose your rights. Yep. And we're walking out of court. And these are just like, as I'm like remembering these memories, mm-hmm. it's like, such a disgusting feeling of just tragicness, but mm-hmm. she comes running toward me. And I honestly thought maybe she was coming to hit me. <laughs> like she just lost, lost the rights to her kids. And instead she like wraps her arms around me and just hugs me and says, take care of our kids. And I'm like, you know, I will. But it was like this passing of mm-hmm. a, of a thing, but also my whole body said, why is this? Why do we have to do this? But she really was addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we had to do it. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, sorry, you go. You talk. Well, and, and she talked about like divine intervention. I I think about that moment and what caused me to do that. Like, I don't, it was some sort of something pushing me and saying, Hey, yeah. you, you need to tell this person to take care of our kids or whatever and and I think it was also me just also passing the torch to her and saying it's okay for you to be their mother I mean we still had like lots of weirdness and awkwardness for a long time but it you know it just I finally started to wake up a little bit and now you know I wasn't what was best for them and you know after the trial things kind of I kind of went on my own way and um, I think it was probably like three or four months after the trial, I I had committed a lot of crimes and um, it was getting close to me being sentenced for, for these crimes. But I, I figured out of the blue, maybe I should call them because I had their phone number. I mean, yeah. you know, it's my ex-husband. I knew their number and just see if she'll talk to me about the kids. Like I didn't expect anything from it. In fact, uh, to be honest, she could have, what I expected was her just to hang up on me. You know, she didn't have to talk to me. Um, and we, when I called her, we talked for a long time on the phone and um, both talked about our fears of, it was the first time that yeah. we'd been vulnerable in any yeah. way, shape or form. Yeah. It's always been guarded. And it was the first time that we'd actually interacted without like a bunch of other people, mm-hmm. yeah. like DCFS people were yeah. looking or mm-hmm. attorneys or yeah. just, just gross yeah. things yeah. that yeah. make everything complicated. Yeah. So I think it was a time to be vulnerable yeah. and yeah. Sorry, go ahead. It was just, that was it. Like we both realized that, um, I, I think that we both love those kids yeah, and, and that we both have like the exact same fears. Um, like my biggest fear was that my kids would forget about me and not want me at any of the important events in their life and wouldn't care. And her biggest fear was 
that all the kids would want is me there and wouldn't want, wouldn't care if she was there. And that was just, I guess it was really kind of interesting. So we talked for a long time and then she like did something crazily amazing um, and invited me to come over and see the kids. I'm super impulsive. Yeah. And I, so I went over there and I got to see the kids and they were so excited to see me and they were so like excited about to show me everything in their house and, and they took me to their room and um, I went in their bedroom and they had a picture of me hanging up on their wall and it was a healthy picture of when I was younger and I felt like she had not let them forget me and kind of invited me to still be a part of their lives by having that picture hanging in their room. And that was just, just like a really amazing moment for me. I was just really overwhelmed to see that. And I think that's kind of the start of everything. Yeah. I think we, we accepted that we both could be there, Mm -hmm. that it was our issue yeah it was our inability to like tolerate our own emotions Mm -hmm. and or be safe like that was another thing so I in that conversation we talked about and I don't think that in the moment there's no way that we knew this was going to be such a meaningful conversation Mm -hmm. that would like guide our whole whatever for the next whatever long but it it really was like I said to her you've got because at this time she was still doing a lot of things that were very unpredictable mm-hmm. and unsafe, yeah. you know? And yeah. so like, you need to have some, some sobriety. You need to have like, be, be working on things. But more importantly, when you tell the kids that you're going to come, you're going to mm-hmm. show up yeah. yes. because we had done things before that they'd not, like yeah. she's not shown up to things. And it's just so, that's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It like with our daughter's biological dad, there's a whole side story yeah. to this, but he kept, he would keep promising to show up and never mm-hmm. showed up. And like this went on for his, for just a long time. And he just had to finally be like, no, you don't get access yeah. anymore because you can't, you can't keep promising a little yeah. person. That's not fair. It's not okay. Yeah. It's better for you to be away. Yeah. But that you would, you know, stop promising mm-hmm. things that you couldn't deliver on, but they would be honest. And just that we, we could envision, just even imagine, I think in today's this is 20 years ago Mm -hmm. in today's society the idea of co-parenting is so popular Mm -hmm. everybody knows what they're doing this was a foreign that was not a thing (laughs) was the 90s and open adoptions too was not a thing not at all the state of utah especially it was just you know it was because Utah has closed adoptions. I don't think that's changed at all. There's, I know that they really push now for, it. for open adoption. Yeah. There wasn't a legal way to have an ado- open yeah. adoption. There is now. Okay. So, yeah. and like we haven't mentioned that she had two, we haven't really mentioned that she had two other children, yeah. the twins that are a year younger than Lexi. Yeah. But that, like that shift and the, the, the differences between those mm-hmm. things. And I guess we can compare that a little later yeah. in the story, but I, at the time, it was really important to me that Stephanie be a consistent piece, even if it was just once a year mm-hmm. or letters or whatever that looked mm-hmm. like, find where you're going to be. But yeah. for right now, come and visit because, yeah. you know, they really want to see yeah. you. Yeah. There was no way. And I mean, I don't think anyone should erase your adoption history. I don't. I think you should tell mm-hmm. your children their adoption story every single moment you have mm-hmm. a chance. It's their life story. Yeah. 
but I think it was really challenging to give a story for what was happening mm-hmm. because yeah. this isn't supposed to happen. Yeah. Adoption really like infant adoption. That's a whole different thing, but yeah. something tragic has to happen in our family mm-hmm. for our family to even exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so telling our story to our kids about our kids has been helpful, but also I think it's important to just have that piece that says, mm-hmm. This is why we did it. And I couldn't erase her. I couldn't just say like, you know what, guys, I'm your new mom. That other person, Mm -hmm. she's not your mom. But here's the thing that really shocks me is that there's people out there in the world who believe that is true. Mm -hmm. And still to this day, believe that is true. Doesn't work that way. It, it never will. It, you can't just erase someone's history or give it like people who give new names, mm-hmm. like the twins got new names mm-hmm. when they were adopted. When they were finally adopted at seven, they got new first names. And they also got cut off from seeing their siblings, which, you know, they have that right. And, and I don't want to like diss them. And in fact, I've gotten to know them really well in the last probably five years. five years. And so I understand a lot of more of why they did what they did, but um, that was really difficult um, for the girls and for, especially for Tyler and Lexi, because they were old enough to remember their siblings. So, you know, like, um, here's two, here's two of your sisters who just, they exist in some place in this county. Maybe we'll bump into them. But one day when we did bump into them, their mom literally dragged them away. Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't let us talk oh, to them. Yeah. And I I used to really try to try to feel a lot of empathy for that. But that really was like, from my perspective, the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. I can't come up with how that was an okay thing to do. Yeah. It really, it hurt my children. Yeah. And I, so for from from our perspective, even at that time when open adoption wasn't being promoted, mm-hmm. there was no way that we could consider anything but an ocean, mm-hmm. an open adoption. Yeah. Yeah. And if we're going to have to do that for the rest of our lives, why not make it reasonable at yeah. least, tolerable? Yeah. And even the as we as we grew, now Stephanie went to prison for a long time. Yep. How long were you in prison? A little over two years total. Yeah. So, um, well, you tell your prison story actually three years um so after that phone call we started doing visits and amy had been taking uh our kids to my family reunion which was a huge thing um while i was not there and um and so they she was maintaining that relationship with my family Mm -hmm. And so we just kind of got to know each other a little bit more. I was still using. So like three months after the phone call. So we started developing a relationship and started talking. And then um, I got sentenced to probation federally and then to do a year in Utah County Jail and um, three years probation. So we decided to invite Amy and the kids to a, a dinner, my going away party. Um, and we took our kids to Sizzler and my mom and everybody was there because I was going to turn myself in the next day. I want to add in the telling the truth part. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 
from where we talked about the story till right now, like uh-huh. having a story to tell. So one of the things that, um, that I did thinking I was protecting my kids was to tell them not the truth. I didn't lie necessarily. I just said things like your mom's sick and she's going mm-hmm. away to places to get better and like kind of painting it over in a weird way that to me made their little tender hearts hear it better. Mm-hmm. But what it actually did was really confuse them. Mm-hmm. And I found that out when mom didn't get better. She's now having like, she's going away to jail. Mm-hmm. And now we have to talk about what that means. And I realized during this time about the importance of like telling the truth about drugs, that kids really can understand drugs, even if they're only four years mm-hmm. old. Yeah. And that they can understand the concept of like making a bad choice and needing like a grown up timeout. And so we really started at that time to really tell our story yeah. in more honest and genuine ways, which was really a valuable piece. Yes. So like when it came time for you to go to jail. Yes. Yes. So we went out to dinner. By this time, the kids were very comfortable with the fact that I was going to jail. And um, our kids have never been quiet and <laughs> never been shy. So we're in Sizzler and the lady comes up and Tyler's all, my mom's going to jail tomorrow and just telling her. And so it was, it was <laughs> that's why we're here at dinner. <laughs> yeah, we're here. We don't really live with her. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. they're just really open and honest with people. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I went to jail and Amy decided, well, especially our oldest boy, Tyler, was very nervous about me being in jail. He thought it was, you know, like you see on TV where they give you like bread and water and slide it under the door and you're in an old like pit or mm-hmm. whatever with, so he was nervous. And so she started driving by the jail saying, Hey, look, it's just a building, this is what it is. And, and Tyler asked her, well, why can't we just go in? And so, yeah, I'll let you tell that part because I think it's pretty interesting. Well, again, to, to really try, it was hard. We had to build a relationship with someone who's Mm -hmm. literally locked away in a building Mm -hmm. and we're going through therapy. We're doing all of that stuff, trying to, you know, manage this, this tragic thing Mm -hmm. that had happened. So, um, yeah, Deciding to go visit in jail, I got so much like negative feedback from people and I laugh about it because I think, I think people just haven't really considered it. They, they live in their bubble and like here in this Valley, a lot of people Mm. live in a lot of different bubbles, which is fine, (laughs) but they don't really include jail visits in those bubbles. But like people would say to me, you know, if you take your kids to the jail, they're going to think that it's okay to go to jail. And they're going to be like fine breaking the law when they're adults. And there was a little bit of me that was like, maybe that's true. But what if it's not? (laughs) What if like they need to see that their mom's okay? What if that's actually way more important that like we have to make jail okay because mom's there. Talk about play therapy with Tyler. Yeah. So Tyler, yeah, Tyler would, um, he would take me, we were doing this thing called filial therapy, which is, um, a caregiver and the child. And then the therapist like watches. And so we, he had this routine and I mean, it was like, it it didn't take a master's degree, honestly, what's wrong with this child. But like, he would grab all of the like police stuff and then he'd arrest me. And then he would take me over to the corner and then tell me how bad I was. And I was in jail and, I'd be like, okay. And then he would go get every food item in the play therapy room to bring to me to give me all of the food. 
like to take care of me, right? So the kind, the, this like punishing police officer, kind jailer. And this went like over and over. That happened multiple times. And like, that's just not, a, he needs to know that his mom's okay yeah. in jail, yeah. maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, yeah, I figured out how to do family visits and we, we figured that out. And that, what was that? That was, that was outside of my comfort zone. I'm going to put it that way. But when, when I looked at, is this harming my children? Yes, they are sad. Yes, they are like distressed that, you know, their life isn't the way it is, but really their life isn't the way it is. And we have to like find ways to make that okay. Like probably two or three visits in, Lexi's like skipping down to whatever the ski resort is called. Yeah. At the Utah County Jail, they name all the places after ski yeah. resorts, which is just mean. Oh, I agree. Wow. <laughs> like you, you're, you're yeah. housed in Snowbird. Yeah. <laughs> really interesting. Yeah. But yeah, so she's like skipping down there and you're like meeting between the glass. You're, uh-huh. It's literally how you see it on... Yeah. They don't even do that anymore anyway. But yeah, on this little phone thing, it's just exactly like you see it on television. But this is their mom. And all of a sudden, she started to look a little bit healthier because she wasn't having a lot of access to meth. Yeah. Like I started to put on some weight and that, I call it the the soul comes back, the light comes back in the eyes because there's something about when somebody's doing drugs that they've just got this vacant, I, I don't know. And so, you know, they got to see that light come back on and, and they got to see me get healthy. And it was amazing to, that she would bring them there to visit me. And, um, you know, I always look forward to those visits and, and we started to develop a little bit of a relationship. I was only in jail for, I think about seven months. Um, and jail is what I call I haven't been there in years and I don't ever want to go back to find out what it's like now, but it's a very stagnant place where it was. And you're constantly bombarded with people coming in off the street that are high um, or that are detoxing from drugs. And you're just around the same people that, that you use with and you get in trouble with. And I didn't put any effort into really changing my life. So when I was released from jail, I was using again within two weeks. I didn't change anything about my life. I didn't change the people that I hung out with. Um, I just, nothing changed. So Amy and Reed started like, you know, immediately having visits with me when I got out of jail. And I think that we kind of rushed into, they may have kind of rushed into things a little bit, but. Um, uh, I think yeah. so at the time I really believed that it was safe. Yeah. Right. Because I, you weren't with the kids alone ever no, really. No. Like your brother was always there. Yeah. Your mom was blocks away. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that it was necessarily unsafe. I think, I think I was naive. Yeah. I think that I thought, cause yeah, you'd been away from meth. Why would you go back exactly. to this drug? Like yeah. Yeah. I, we were both. Just, yeah. Yeah. I, I thought for sure that, Anybody who had gone that long in jail without the drug in their body, yep. that they would be recovered. Yep. That, that that would just be the magical yeah. cure. Right. <laughs> just time. That's oh, all I you wish. needed. Oh, and so that was, you know, that was yeah. kind of naive on everyone's part. Let's again remember that we are like 25 years yep. old. <laughs> what? We were younger than that. No, the kids come to live with me when I'm 23. And this is like two years later. So like 24, yeah. 25. We're the same age. I was 20, we were 24 because I went to prison when I was 24. There you go. Yeah. 
Okay, that makes so sense. So let's let's just calculate. I, I often have to do this calculation that we are it's, in it's, our young 20s. I know, it's crazy. And we're just like, why didn't we know this? I know. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so I think we jumped into, I think the kids were really excited. Mm-hmm. They were really excited that you were going to be around. Yeah. And... And that they didn't have to go to the jail anymore. Yeah. And I could touch them and, you know, play with them. And and unfortunately, that didn't last. I I think I made it three months before I was arrested again. And I was on both uh, state probation and federal probation. So when I was arrested again, I was violated on both of those probations. So when I um, got arrested again... In March of 2004, I was sentenced to um, zero to five years in Utah State Prison. So I was transferred up to Utah State Prison. And Amy and I decided that while I was in prison, that it would be best if we didn't do in-person visits because the kids could be subject to some pretty scary things like full body searches or mm-hmm. if something were to happen while they're there. We just, we just felt both of us felt it just wasn't a good thing. Um, but we started like, I would call them all the time. I would write letters. Amy would write letters to me and we started kind of really to develop Amy and I started to develop more of a, a relationship one-on-one when I went to prison through letters and phone calls. And, um, I was getting, I got released from Utah State Prison after um, 16 months, and I was transferred to a federal holding facility in Daggett County, Um, this waiting for me to be sentenced on my federal stuff. And I had talked to my probation officer and my attorney, and they're like, listen, they're probably just going to... Um, reinstate your probation and let you out. You've done this much time. So I was really excited to get out. And then um, it was the day before Mother's Day. And I got a call over the PA that I had a contact visit. And I was like, this has got to be like my probation officer or my lawyer or something. And I walked into the room and Amy had driven, figured out how to get a contact visit, driven for three and a half hours with our children, just so they didn't have to go another Mother's Day without seeing me. And I think that solidified my relationship with her, that this person truly loves our children. And she loves me, too. If she's not going to do that, you know, just, you know, for the heck of it. And I was so amazed that I got to touch these kids that I hadn't touched in over 16 months. And, yeah. you know, got to see them and how big they are. And we made all these plans for when I was going to get out because I was going to court on Monday. And it was just an amazing experience that she would do that. Um, But come Monday, I had to make a pretty devastating phone call. Um, The federal judge said, hey, I'm afraid if I let you out and reinstate your probation, you're just going to violate again. So I'm going to sentence you to a year and a day in federal prison. And when they take you to federal prison, they immediately take you and put you on con air so you're like handcuffed in an airplane and you end up in a federal holding facility in Oklahoma so I had to call that night and say I'm not coming home for in uh, federal time you do like 80 percent of your time and so I was like at least another 11 months I was devastating Um, but I am actually truly thankful 
that I did go to federal prison. I don't know if I was ready to get out at that time. Um, do you want to talk about how you feel about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, Stephanie makes a joke sometimes. She'll say, like, if you're going to go to prison, go to federal prison. You know, I, I agree. Oh, yeah. I agree. It's the best of the prisons. <laughs> yes. <it> so, <laughs> like, she was, she was out in Phoenix in this, like, work camp. Yep. Um, there aren't any fences. There's like just the city that is run by the inmates. Yeah. And it was really interesting to see her grow and change within that community based mm-hmm. environment. I, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a strong proponent for that because yeah, I agree. it really did help her. She'd done some schooling, like she got her high school diploma mm-hmm. in, in state prison, but like federal prison, she had a job. She learned a trade. She learned all of these things. And also her desire for improvement was so obvious. Mm -hmm. There was like, yeah, it wasn't just, there was some responsibility. Like I think one of the things that you were talking about, about what changed and Mm -hmm. how, how are we able to make this happen? If Stephanie was still in that blaming stage where she used to be, you know, like if that caseworker hadn't done this or if that, whatever, I'd have my kids. (laughs) Sorry. No, it's true. That's where I was. So, but in federal prison, there was some accountability. There was some shifts in like responsibility. There was some maturity mm-hmm. emotionally. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> <Weird>. definitely. <laughs> there was maturity emotionally for me as well in that, like seeing and envisioning that I could be friends with this person. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like before that I was mostly doing it for my kids, mm-hmm. sacrificing like my time and my things for my kids. That's what you do mm-hmm. as a mom. But I began to care about Stephanie in different ways. Like I really was invested in her being successful because if her, if she was successful, all of us would have more success. Our whole family would be better off if she could be better off and really believing that she could do it. And that like when she got out of federal prison, it was, it was amazing. She even chose to stay longer, which was so weird. (laughs) They offered me to get out early to go to a halfway house and I was too scared of getting out and messing up at a halfway house because if I would have messed up I would have gotten new charges and I wouldn't have gotten out of the federal system so I was like nope I'm just going to stay the extra month and terminate my case with the the feds because I was so paranoid about me making a mistake so but coming home was amazing I think all of us were super excited they threw me what's called like a, a coming out party which that's is pretty awesome, awesome. that's amazing <laughs> that yeah. actually concludes chapter one yeah. all right. <laughs> so there is there is a chapter two yeah. so yeah when you came home it really was like a different a different chapter mm-hmm. a different chapter in our lives you were in such a radically different place than even the yeah. year that you'd been there before yeah. and so it was it was really good to experience that connectedness, yeah. but I was, I was 100% invested in your well being, yeah. And I, I don't regret that investment at all. No, I, I just, I, I had to do an assignment. I'm in grad school right now. And, um, I had to do an assignment, uh, in my, uh, cultural diversity class about who is one of the most like in few, influential supports in your life and I couldn't there was like of course my mom you know but like everybody says your mom whatever but I had to think like who is the person that has been there and I had to choose her because 
I don't know where I'd be without her because she invested so much in my recovery and was so supportive of me through like every step. And so I had to like copy the assignment and send it to her because I was like, I just need you to know this. <laughs> so, oh, it's so beautiful. But it's just, wow. she did. She supported me. And then we started to build our relationship. Um, I got a, a coming job. out party. Yes. I'll tell that story. Yes. So we're at this point, we're kind of normalized in our little family, right? Mm. Nobody, nobody's feeling super awkward. Mm -hmm. So we have a family, we have a, we have a party, her coming out party. She'd just gotten a job and started a job. And so like things were really looking up because it was really hard for you to find a job. And so she's, we're like hanging out together and that, so that's her ex-husband, my current husband and our two children, right? This really interesting little thing, but we were all, we were all fine. Yeah. Yeah. This guy from work calls her and it's like, hey, what are you doing? What's up? I'd like to take you out. She's like, well, I'm hanging out at my ex-husband's house. Would you like to come over? And like, <laughs> he was like, um, hard pass, yeah. but thanks. <laughs> She's married to that guy now. Yeah. But like, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was just, just, sometimes we'd get wake up calls. Like when we'd go out in public yes. or something, you know, there'd be this mom, mom thing. And this was way before it was cool to be lesbian in public, yeah. yes. you know? And so it just, people would give us strange yeah. looks and all sorts of stuff. When we go out with our husband, we just look like really infertile polygamous, yeah. you know? <laughs> but like it, I think when we finally said like, we didn't actually care yeah. what other people thought, that was a yeah. big step yeah. in, in at least at that time, yeah. because yeah, I would introduce, I'd be like, oh, I was hanging out with Stephanie and people would look at me so weird. Yeah. Like, why? Why are you doing that? Why are you going and hanging out with her? Like, yeah. d- you weren't even on a visit with the kids. You did it like, yeah. you just went and did yeah. stuff because you enjoy her. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's really what it took. Yeah. I think for us to move through and be where we are is we had to actually care about each other. Mm-hmm. In, in a different way that wasn't about like, oh, well, we just get together because yeah. of the kids. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we did get together because of the kids. Yeah. I think we get together a lot less now, certainly, because the kids are adults. adults and yes. it's just not. But when they were little, like we would spend. So we decided that Christmas, we didn't want to have two Christmases. That's mm-hmm. so dumb. Yeah. And so we she would come to my house and spend the night on Christmas morning. And like, as the kids got older, I went to her house. Mm-hmm. Like, just... It we built our family yeah. in routines and in acceptance and belonging. Yes, I love yeah. that. Wow, that we all belong. Yeah, we all belong just simply yeah. because we we decided to do this all together. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I don't think our kids. I I do think that our kids are way better because of it because they never had to choose. They never had to feel like, oh, I. I need to do this for my mom or for, well, I was mommy. She was mom. That's what they called. (laughs) Um, And even like they would use our names. Like they still do. Like my kids call me Amy or mom. And I do not hear the difference. I don't either. And so it's just, it became this like really, and what was so funny when they were little, sometimes (laughs) they would say mom and neither one of us would respond. We would just like, like, oh, I thought you were talking to her. (laughs) So that, that title, like, oh man, when, when Lexi first called me mom, I'm going to go back for a second. First time Lexi called me mom was in front of Stephanie, which was so hard and awkward. But when you let go of those titles when you let go of needing to be the mom yeah. or the dad yeah. and you're like, Oh, I'm a mom. Yep. 
yeah, just the other day when I introduced you, like, this is my kid's mom. And yeah. you're like, and this is my kid's mom. Yeah. And we, we just love to make people's yeah. eyes go, what? Yeah, yeah. Are you this lesbian? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just, want, she's right. Once you let go of that, like, jealousy and, and our kids gained from that. They gained two moms and two dads and multiple sets of grandparents and, yes. you know, never had to choose. Oh, I'm going to go to Christmas here or spend this holiday here or spend my birthday here. I mean, we celebrated their birthdays together. It was just, it was everything. And, you know, it was just amazing. And I think, I think that was the best gift that we could give our kids Yeah, was to have that. And, and I'll tell you right now, like our, our kids have their own little issues. They're young adults, <laughs> but they are probably the most like well-adjusted when it comes to, not abusing substances. They want nothing to do with that. Uh, not in any type of criminal trouble at all. In fact, you know, they are very... Yeah, they never went to jail. Yeah, weird. Weird, I know. <laughs> so far. Well, And it'll be okay if they do. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Just very... And, and emotionally... Compassionate yeah. um, to people. I so I worked what some after I adopted the kids then DCFS felt like this place that I should work for 10 years so mm-hmm. I did my time there but like I've seen so many different ways to adopt and mm-hmm. so many different people who have perceptions about adoption mm-hmm. and I was really always blown away like people would think if I just do these things right if I just do these things then it will erase all of that trauma yeah. And in some ways I've bought into that sometimes mm-hmm. too, but I think what really helped us was to find acceptance for what mm-hmm. had happened. Yeah. Like, I don't think our kids are ashamed of your story. Mm-hmm. I think if anything, they let, they're like, yeah, my one mom's been to prison. Yeah. They you like know? to joke about that. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, there's no, there's nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. There's no, even if there is, there was a few times when they were mm-hmm. teenagers that they would like triangulate us and, and then we'd be like, one in what? Particular. <laughs> We're not going to mention any names because, you know, <laughs> but like they, or, you know, sometimes it would be like, well, I'm going to go over to Stephanie's house because I can do that over there. And then she would have to call me and say, hey, this is what they said. And I'd be like, mm, that's bull crap. And we did that. I guess that's a kind of what we did. So we really co-parented our kids. And um, they would come over and spend time with me. And we physically, when we would do drop off and pick up, we would have a, a big conversation. We usually hung out for an hour or so while we did that. And it was constant communication about what the kids were doing, what behaviors they were having. Um, you know, we called each other all the time. Most of the time, the kids did not pull anything on us but it did happen a couple times mm-hmm. as they got a little bit older to do that try test those boundaries yeah. you know yeah. figure out if you're safe or not but like it was it as you know even through the really there were really challenging parts mm-hmm. i don't i don't think that we had kids that were just easy there mm-hmm. were some things that were really yeah. challenging and if i hadn't had stephanie at there sitting in the courtrooms with me mm-hmm. sitting in all of those things with mm-hmm. me i I don't know what I would have done. I would have been so lost. I, these people that are, that don't understand you're gaining, mm-hmm. you're gaining an extra parent. Yes. When I needed respite, yep. Hey, go to your mom. Yep. And 
and trusting in that and feeling like that was okay. And that, that didn't happen overnight, but I don't think that it could have happened if we couldn't have let go of like living in jealousy. Yeah. Right. Like there are jealousies. There's mm-hmm. times when you're yeah. like, wait, do you love her more than me? Yeah. And then you remember, oh, that's, that's what a child thinks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> adult, adult maturity says my kids can absolutely love as much as I can love them equally yes. and different. Yeah. Our kids can love us equally and different. Yeah. yeah. And we always talked about our jealousies too. Yeah. I think that yes. like we'd always say, I'm a little bit jealous about this and it made it easier for us. I think. Yeah. Normalizing those yeah. vulnerable. Com- yeah, yeah. I love that. Well, that we couldn't, we couldn't pretend that we were like this Hallmark mm-hmm. card family. Yeah. yeah. We're not a Hallmark card yeah. family. We're this weird, weird family, but I, I am so I'm so grateful that we were able to go outside of the box of mm-hmm. people trying to erase histories mm-hmm. or people like, and, and not to bring up the twins as much anymore because yeah. it, it feels a little betraying to some of their privacy. Yeah. But like when I, so when the, when the kids turned 18, mm-hmm. so that was the girls came and lived with Stephanie, yeah. like within a few months so of turning, turning 18. 18. Yeah. And then Lexi decided that she also needed to go and live with Stoney. Oh, yeah. So she had a 19-year-old and two 18-year-olds. Yeah. Just boom, here you go. Yeah. You're the birth mom. Yeah. That was rough. My twin daughters um, have a lot of trauma from being completely cut off from yeah. from their family. And again, you know, I'm not trying to like bad mouth their adopted family. I think they're great people and they did the best that they could do with what they have. But you know, it, I'm going to challenge that because I think, I think that they were given an example because mm-hmm. I was talking to them the whole time. It's true. I was saying to them, Hey, things are safe. Things are appropriate. Things are going okay. Not the whole time, yeah. but for a while, yeah. because then they finally cut us all off and that whatever, that's whatever it, I think people acting out of fear make really interesting choices. So I'm going to say that they were acting out of fear, but I don't think that they like had no idea what, how to do it different. They did know how to do it different. And they had people telling them, Hey, you don't have to cut them off. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do this. And they're like, Nope, that's what we're going to do. It was their choice. Maybe that's, I, I still have, I I still have a lot of bitter feelings and maybe you, maybe you've, forgiven a lot more and because you've had to you've been like with you've had to do the exact same thing that I had to do for you yeah that's such an interesting thing that I don't even know that I've put together because yeah yeah you have to be because you're literally the adopt so Stephanie actually adopted one of the twins yes I did after they so so she's legally my legally and biologically my daughter again um so, but she's now the adoptive parent to those parents mm-hmm. and you have to, you have to love them yeah. you, because they're your kid's parents. And I'm still, I'm still stuck in some, because I don't, yep, she, I haven't had to do that. But she also was there with the trauma of, of them losing their siblings where I was in prison and I didn't see everything that happened. And so she had to work through that. So I understand well, and I feel, Actually, I feel lied to and betrayed yeah. to be fair, because I was told your family yeah. will never stop talking to you. We'll never do that. that and then sense. within months of finalizing their adoption, they were like, nah, this is a yeah. bad idea. 
Yeah. And never spoke to us again. Yeah. I mean, that's not true. That's not true. They sent us what? Three pictures maybe over the mm-hmm. years. Yeah. Those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, but that was a trauma and a loss yeah. that was unnecessary. I was not an unreasonable person. Yeah. I was, yeah, there was, there was just fear. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I think people, so I've also, I've also done like therapy with adult adoptees and adult adoptees whose parents like don't, don't allow for a space to talk about adoption because they're sad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're sad about their child's own adoption story and they bring their own grief to the situation Mm -hmm. and their own crap. We all do. But if you're unwilling to acknowledge that you are bringing a whole baggage of garbage to your adoption story Mm -hmm. and you're like, no, I'm perfectly fine. You're wrong. You're there's, there's pain, there's grief, there's loss in every role within adoption. But if you tell a child like, oh no, we're just all a big happy family now. We just forget about that other stuff. But they'll they'll yeah. they'll do some interesting things to figure it out. And and my girls are struggling. Like yeah. really struggling. Well how crushing for yeah. developing your identity and feeling yeah. like you have to mask or hide yeah. this piece of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I always kind of felt like they were bad. There was something wrong with them because of where they came from. So, yeah, there's, there's just so many there. I, I don't want to get on and bad mouth people, but yeah. I just, there were so many stories that I heard about how their closed adoption happened that mm. just shattered my heart yeah. and yeah. was just like unnecessary yeah. and completely out of fear to try to keep them away and guess what it didn't work yeah so we're here to tell you that doesn't work don't mm-hmm. anybody do it no <laughs> well always reach out and and I think that was probably the biggest thing that that I that got me through those 16 years of not seeing them was that they're gonna find me someday yeah so and they did and moved right in <laughs> and they now did. it's been a whirlwind <laughs> yeah so, so I think poignant stories yeah yeah I don't I, I know what made it work for us. What made it work for us was compassion mm-hmm. and like seeing that what we were doing was actually in the best interest of our kids. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't know that a lot of mental health professionals are like open or even understand that you can. Yep. They're yeah. still bought into this idea that says, oh, keep your family safe. Keep those other people, you know, their mm-hmm. family over there. Yeah away from them and safety. Like even if Stephanie had never gotten sober and frankly, if she'd never gotten sober, we wouldn't have this thing. Mm-hmm. My kids had grandparents. Mm-hmm. My kids had aunts and uncles. My kids had this whole family that loved them from the day they were like even thought of, which is not something I could ever offer them with my family. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you cut off because of safety, you're making the wrong choice. Yeah find ways. There's so many, like I think about social media being available Mm -hmm. and all of this stuff that's now available that we didn't have. Mm -hmm. If we could have seen pictures of the twins on social media, even that would have felt like a a decent connection Mm -hmm. that we wouldn't have had to like catch up or whatever. But the fact, yeah, there were just so many positive things in open adoption Mm -hmm. that, and nobody, I have a miracle. I get I get to have mm-hmm. like the best bio mom ever who is adaptable and flexible and sober 
yeah. <laughs> and all of those things. And like, yes, I get, I get that I made choices. You don't have to flatter me about it. I know that that's true, but I also get you and other people don't get that. But I just encourage people every time that I talk about open adoption, find out where your boundary is. And then I'd like to say, what is one step further that you would take it to open it up just one step further? And why are you unwilling to do that? What is that about? Is it about you? Is it about your child? Is it about them? There are unsafe people out there. I get it. But that one step of allowing a phone call, that one step of allowing like an email address, open it up one more step. And what I found for myself is that as I went step by step by step by step, I got to have an amazing relationship with someone. And I'm forever grateful for that. And her willingness to do that helped me tremendously become the person that I am today and in my recovery, that her belief in me and her interest in my life and my, my success was like a catalyst for so many things and where I am today. So, yeah. Wow. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much, both. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to talk about where you are today? It's just been a, it's been a privilege to watch Stephanie's journey. I, yeah, I've watched her go from being like a tire technician when she first got out and she was the fastest tire technician in the county. Fastest, wow. like not the fastest female, the fastest. And I changed in my tires. So she did. I have she to was really that. awesome. <laughs> she was super awesome. And then like she switched over as many do to like mental health and substance use. And I have watched her grow in being able to help other people. And it, what a gift that she is to people because she is able to say, I did it. You too can do it. Like I joke all the time about how the same County that locked her up for crimes, a lot of my crimes, (laughs) they now give her like a six figure budget and say, Hey, will you just manage that for us? And you just, you got it, right? Yeah. <laughs> because, like, she works, so she works at the Prisoner Access to Recovery Program at um, Wasatch Behavioral Health and is, like, a department lead person. And That's she's amazing. in grad school. Yeah. And yeah. I am so impressed with her. It's and awesome. I have to talk about Amy because she's incredible. Um, not only did she do her time at DCFS, which um, going through school and social work, that's kind of always been one thing that that you're learning about and I just knew that that was no place I could ever be um she touched so many lives um and changed so many families lives I still hear about her and and like the amazing things that she's done like when specific clients come in and know her or whatever um but she also put herself through grad school and I call her my therapist because and I call her is. my substance use counselor. She's also the last, uh, I hope you don't mind. So the last several years um, since she's got divorced, I know it's been difficult for her. She's taken on the role of being a single mom um, and has really had to, I guess, find herself outside of a marriage and she has started her own business too. And I got the pleasure of interning at that business during my, um, my bachelor's degree. And 
the environment that she has there is you walk into that place and you just feel incredible. Like, and she's worked so hard at it. And she's also, um, she taught me how to be a parent because there was so much I didn't know. And she also taught me how to be a friend. I don't have like hardly any girlfriends at all. Um, I don't really like hang out with people, but she's always been the person that I can call when I need something good or bad. And I'm just, she's just amazing now. And I mean, she's always been amazing, but I just, I don't know what I could do, what, how my life would be without her. So, yeah, I think we're, I, I yeah, I'm so grateful for all the things that we've built together. And yeah, I feel that is, yeah, if I have, if I have the best thing that I ever did in my life, you know, it's, it's this. That's for sure. Talking about it really makes me miss our kids being little and all the things because life's so crazy now. Like we hardly get together like we used to or anything. Yeah. It just really makes me miss it. We can figure it out. We do. Guys, that is so beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you. just want to give a huge thanks to Stephanie and Amy again. I, I I loved this conversation and how vulnerable, open, and just clearly they communicate so many really important aspects of connection and relationships uh, in the adoption sphere. Yes, I love how supportive they are to one another, how they're validating to each other and to each other's motherhood instead of being threatened by one another. They really like back one another up, right? And I love that they have found a way to, within their family, like co-parent and make this very child-centric relationship where it's resulted in so much love and trust between the two of them as well. Yeah. One thing that stands out to me, and I think of you know, the first time adoptive parents going into a situation where they might have nothing in common with the birth parent. And in this case, you know, drugs may have been involved. And anyway, there's so many differences between people and it takes work to connect with people Mm -hmm. and to form relationships. And sometimes you go through these storms together and, you know, all for the sake of these kids that, Mm -hmm. that connect us and, I think this was just a beautiful story of what happens for kids when parents, adoptive parents, biological parents come together and try to create this relationship, this normal for, for them. And it, yeah, it takes a lot of work and sometimes it's scary and sometimes it may feel like unsafe, but there's all these emotions and feelings around that. But ultimately, if we're doing the very best we can for our kids, it's going to bless them over and over and over again. I really love that. And I love that idea that as the adults in these relationships, it's on us to really be the grown-ups here, right? And to forge these connections and relationships. And it's not always going to be easy. And it does, it takes both sides working at it, right? For sure. But there was some give and take throughout the relationship and throughout time as Stephanie was getting healthy and they were able to give one another this grace and understanding as they worked and continued to like together strive for this 
relationship that they have now. And I think often in our lives we'll find that there can be things that come up that make it hard to keep an open adoption, right? Or to keep a relationship going that's challenging and maybe emotionally burdensome. But if both parties can really focus on what matters most, and that is the children, right? If both parties are focusing on the well-being of all of the children involved, then it's going to work and it's going to be worth it. And I mean, I want to respect the, the privacy of other people that were spoken about in the episode, but I just thought it was really poignant at the end that, you know, she had had other children that were adopted into different situations where it became closed. And, you know, right when the they, they turned 18, the immediate thing was, let's connect with our birth, birth bomb. And, um, I, yeah. That's a natural desire I think I mean obviously we're not trying to project that onto every person but it makes sense and we've talked on the show before about how when as adoptive parents we vilify biological family members or don't talk well about them around our children or in general like even if our children aren't around they're going to feel that and they're going to feel like that is part of their own identity part of their identity and that's like a reflection on them because we're talking bad about a part of them, right? And a part of who they are. And it's so important to remember that loving your child also means loving their biological family. And that their biological family is part of them. And if you really want your child to feel your love as an adoptive parent, you need to embrace all of them. And that includes all of their family. Yep. Even when it's hard, even when it's not convenient uh you have to do it for the kid's sake for sure yep i I love how that was painted in this conversation me too and i really really appreciate that stephanie is so open and talking about her personal experiences and challenges with addiction that is something that's a very prevalent challenge that many people experience but is not spoken about very often and it's challenging to talk about and i Really appreciate that she was open about that and shared with us because it's something that happens a lot, especially in the adoption community. And there's hope and yeah, there's redemption. She's, and she's an amazing person. Yeah. And she enriches her kids' lives. And it's this beautiful lesson that it doesn't mean, like, if someone's having a struggle today, it doesn't define the rest of their life. Yeah, and kind of a tangent off of that, they they spoke about this, and I think it's really important that, um, you know, she wasn't telling the the kids. Amy, right? Yeah, Amy wasn't telling the kids how Stephanie was quote unquote sick. Like I'm doing air quotes right now, Um, and then all of a sudden that sickness led to her going to prison, right? And so they're both of them encouraging, like tell the truth, obviously age appropriately, but tell the truth. In well, she wasn't like lying, but yeah. yeah, and then just making it more open and transparent. I I agree that kids can understand a lot more than we give them credit for. Yeah, I really liked the uh, the reference to going to jail or prison as adult timeout. Yeah, um, it's like just a reset. Helping, helping yeah. kids connect with that. Um, man, I think I could talk forever about this conversation, but I'm just 
super grateful for, again, for both of them for being so willing to be just so open and sharing so much. Yes. I felt like it was such a helpful conversation for me and I hope it's been helpful for you too. Yeah. Thank you so much for your continued listening. Uh, we try so hard to, to provide really good content for the adoption community and hope that you found this helpful. Yes. As we are wrapping up our current season, we're getting ready for a special November adoption month series that will be a little bit more frequent than our current episodes. And so we'll have a little more information about that soon. And in the meantime, if you would like to rate our podcast or share it with others who might benefit from it, we would love to help other people in their journeys. Yeah. And again, we just do this because uh, we love the adoption community and we want to share people's perspectives and opinions and ideally just paint the best future for all of our adoptee friends, whether those are our kids or someone else we're connected to. Yeah. Yeah. This really started off as us wanting to help people destigmatize open adoption and find less fear in that possibility. And it's grown into a lot more, but I think this episode ties right in, right? Yeah. That you can be so empowered by allowing more love into your life. Yeah. So like Lynette said, like it, share it, whatever you can to promote the podcast in the adoption space um, so that we can help reach more people. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Open Adoption Project.